Good morning. Some good questions. As you guessed it, we're talking about questions of Jesus. We began a series last week on the questions that Jesus asked, and we began with just this thought. If we had five minutes and we could sit down with Jesus, what questions might you ask Jesus? I mean, you might have to think it through. Like, I really got to think this one over. Which questions would I ask Jesus? And as I was in my office this morning, I thought, here's one that I would probably ask Jesus. Did you ever second guess your choice in disciples? As you read the scriptures and you read some of the things they did, and so you're like, Jesus, did you ever second guess that? Like, man, what, what was I thinking? You know, did you do that? Or how about this one? Jesus is omniscient. Jesus, since you know all things and you knew that Judas would betray you, why? Why did you still choose him as one of the disciples? And maybe you have your own question and maybe you're more serious and close to home where you say, Jesus, I've been through going a lot in my life, and um, I, I just got some questions. Why does it hurt so bad? Why am I experiencing so much pain and so much difficulty? Why is this marriage not working out? Why, why? We could ask Jesus a lot of questions, and the good thing is I believe that those questions are welcomed. I believe that we can bring those questions to God in prayer, and I believe they are welcomed. But what if, what if for just a moment, instead of us asking the questions to Jesus, we just stopped and listened to the questions that Jesus was asking us? And it turns out Jesus asked a lot of questions. There were over 300 questions recorded I mean, the New Testament alone. And Jesus didn't just ask the questions to fill a space. There was a purpose in the questions that he would ask. He would ask questions that would wake up the listeners. I mean, they're talking and they're, they get their ideas. And he would ask a question that was so thought-provoking that would cause them to just stop what they were doing and to think about it. It would wake them up. It would stir up a response in them. Right? It would cause them to think. They cause us to think. And ultimately, these questions, when they cause us to, to think, they wake us up and we discover new truths. These questions have the potential of radically changing our lives. And that's what God is all about. He wants to change our lives. And so we're looking at some of the questions that Jesus asked. Now, last week, we began it with what is the most important question that Jesus asked of all humanity. He asked his disciples, and he says, Who do men say that I am? And they responded with, you know, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, or one of the other prophets. But then he says, but who do you say I am? And it's the answer to that question that Peter said, you are the Messiah, the one that we've been reading about in all the Old Testament scriptures. You're, you're the one, Jesus. You're the Messiah sent from God. And, of course, Jesus responds, encouragement to, to Peter. And, and so what we talked about last week, the most important key in life, and I would say life eternal, the most important key that we can have is this key of knowing who Jesus is. Not just knowing about Jesus, but knowing exactly who he is. And the reason why it's important is because the Bible says that the demons believe in Jesus. I mean, they know everything about Jesus, but they don't honor, respect, or submit him, right? They tremble in fear. So it's not what you know, but it's what you truly know about who Jesus is, getting to know him. And secondly, is trusting Jesus. So the key to life is knowing and trusting Jesus. And I want to unpack that trusting part just a little bit more uh, this morning in our our time together. Um, So the title of the message this morning is, Where is your faith? This is a question that Jesus asks his disciples in a very familiar story that we all know. Um, Jesus calms the storm. He asks the question, where is your faith? Now let me just admit and, and confess to you this morning that if the sermon is off a little theologically, uh, doctrinally, I had a little help. Something that happens in my house often is when the grandkids come over, they always say, hi dude, where's sugar? That's about how much I mean to them, right? Hi dude, where's sugar? Well, this particular Friday, kids come over and they see me walking out to my shop and Wes says, hey dude, can I come hang out with you in the shop? 
And I'm like, this is like Christmas time for me. I, like, Sugar's in the room, and he chose dude. This is big, right? So we go to my office. We're hanging out for a while, and then Katie walks in, and we're having a blast. I need to do sermon prep, but I'm enjoying the grandkids. This is epic, right, for me. This is a big moment. We're hanging out. We're enjoying each other. And finally, I said, hey, wait, guys. I got this dry erase marker board, and I said, I need your help. Now, Katie, the youngest one, that's her love language. She loves helping, right? And so when I said that, this is her face. (gasps) Me? This is my opportunity to shine. Dude needs help, and I'm the girl for the job. And so I said, hey, I'm teaching a story about Jesus calming the storm. They had just been on a, a really cool shark fishing expedition off of Galveston Coast. And so Wes is infatuated with boats, and so he was quick to work. Let's build a boat, and let's show a storm. And the disciples, Katie's over here working on her fish. And so if you see kind of in there, there's some storms, wave, the boat. There's a little bit of, um, yeah, Jesus is sleeping on a cushion. Katie's still working on the fish. Go to the next picture. We add a little effect. You get the little lines on the outside of the boat. It's rocking. He says, how do you make it look like it's rocking in the storm? And so I showed him, and Jesus is asleep. One of the disciples is like, help. And then he stops. He says, so, but how... How do we show that the, the, the storm is calmed now? And I said, well, we got to erase the storm and we got to draw another picture. And so we drew another picture and I see trees of bloom, you know, that, that's what comes to mind. The sun's out, the, the birds are flying, and Jesus says, peace be still. And they're like, thank you, Jesus. And it was so cool to see them, you know, the story come to life for them, and they're helping me draw it out. And then it went south from there because I think Katie said Jesus fell out of the boat and got eaten by a shark. And so I was like, all right. So... I love the kids, and I love that childlike faith, and, and I think God showed me something in that, um, that, you know, he says, unless your faith becomes like that as a little child, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. And what is it about this faith that we're told that we walk in as followers of Christ? We live by faith, and so he says, these childlike faith, this childlike faith is so, so important. And Jesus asked the questions of his disciples, where is your faith? Well, let's start with what faith is. Hebrews 11.1, it says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. It is believing in something that we don't see. And so I would say that faith, Christian faith, always begins with reason. Someone comes to you and says, hey, there is a God. You're like, I don't know about it. I don't know if I agree with that. And they begin to unpack and make the case that there is a God. Like Shane, just consider the earth and its axis. If it was off one degree, one way or the other, we would either freeze to death or we would burn up to death. Consider the ocean, the waves, and how it aerates, and consider the the seasons, and the oxygen, and the plants, and how they all have a part. Consider the baby in the womb of a mother, and and just look at the heartbeat, and the blood pumping through its veins, and there's a child inside this womb. That screams intelligent design, right? And so using reason, we come to this place where we're like, you know what? I think I believe what is being shared with me. We start there in faith, but how many know it goes a little further than that? I said, how many of you know it goes a little further than that? All right, so I need a little participation this morning. So we, we walk by faith, and that faith begins with reason, but there's another side to that coin. So what begins with reason, like, hey, Jesus came out of the heavens and came to the earth, and he died on the cross? I mean, and I need some, I don't know, that's, that's, that's pretty crazy, right? And so we start looking at the accounts of the Gospels, the eyewitnesses, and we see the lives that are changed. And so we begin to build this faith, this belief that, you know what, I believe that's true. And the other side of that coin, though, for followers of Christ, James tells us that faith without works or without deeds is dead. 
And so there's this connection between this belief system and then what we do with that belief system that makes what is called the Christian faith. And so listen to this. Christian faith begins with reason, but it is completed only by faithful action and obedience. Now the disciples have been with Jesus for a while so far, and they've witnessed him do some pretty cool things. But they're going to come to a transition or a crossroads, if you will, in their lives when that faith, that belief in Jesus is going to be tested. And Jesus is good at testing people. He'll give them a a teaching. He'll present to them a cool new truth. And there's usually a test that follows after that to see if they got what it is that he was teaching them. And so Jesus dials up a test in the form of a storm. And this is what he uses with the disciples. So let's go ahead and read that. um, And we'll dive into it for a moment. So... Chapter 8, Luke, verse 22. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and started out. And as they sailed across, Jesus settled down for a nap. But soon a fierce storm came down on the lake. The boat was filling with water, and they were in real danger. The disciples went and woke him up, shouting, Master, Master, we're going to drown. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and raging waves. Suddenly, the storm stopped and was all was calm. Then he asked them, and here's the question he asked them, and here's the question I believe he could ask us today, where is your faith? He didn't say, you've got no faith. He says, where is it? Where is your faith? The disciples were terrified and amazed. Who is this man? They asked each other. When he gave his command, even the wind and the waves obey him. Father, would you bless the reading of your word, and would you open our eyes and hearts to receive what it is that you have for us today. God, that we may grow in our faith, that we may truly understand, Lord, both sides of that coin of faith, Uh, Lord, that you would just change our hearts today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus is always teaching his disciples. Um, He's teaching them a lot, and he asks questions sometimes to just kind of cause this change and we have to remember as we're reading the story we're reading it with a completed text we got Genesis through Revelation right we see the big picture from the beginning to the end we got to remember we always forget that the disciples were learning from Jesus in real time right and so they're walking with Jesus and there's some things that have happened so far but there's a lot of things that have not happened yet and so from our perspective we were like what is wrong with those guys why don't they get it hey show them some grace because they were learning in real time and when you consider that it's like it kind of makes sense the disciples and their path of growth and so um, what has happened so far in chapter 4 of Luke um, Jesus has cast out a demon That's pretty nice. Um, Chapter 5, he's healed a man of leprosy. Another man was paralyzed. He heals him. Chapter 6, another man with a deformed hand, and that was restored. Chapter 7, a slave of a a Roman officer is healed. And then this really epic one, a widow's son who was dead was raised back to life. So Jesus is performing some pretty cool miracles, and the, the disciples are building their belief systems about who Jesus is. He's not like anybody else. He's doing some pretty cool things. Their faith, if you will, and their reason about who Jesus is, is beginning to build. And, and he gives them this parable about the farmer who scatters the seed. You know, the seed fell on the rocky path, and he goes into the, the different ones, and he ends up with the soil, and then he explains that. And the reason that he does that is he wants to impress upon them how important it is to truly hear the teachings of the Word, to truly hear the teachings, to listen with not just our ears, but to listen intently with what is being said. And the idea would be that growth or action would be implied from that. When he says, my mother and my brothers are 
those who hear God's word and obey it. Jesus is impressing upon the disciples how important it was to hear and to respond to what is being said. And so here comes the test. Look at it. We'll look at the storm, the response of the storm, the question, and then the reaction. So the storm, verse 22. One day Jesus says to his disciples, hey, let's go. It says they followed him. Let's cross to the other side of the lake. This lake is the Sea of Galilee. So they got into a boat and they started out. And it says, as they sailed across, Jesus settled down for a nap. I love this because in this instance, we see the humanity of Jesus. We're big on talking about the deity of Jesus. Right? He shows up and does only things God can do. But in this moment, in the only place in Scripture, we see evidence of Jesus taking a nap. It just was exhausting what Jesus was doing. And I love that Jesus is in a boat. And he's taking a nap. Mark says he's laying on a cushion, so he's all comfy in the boat as they're sailing across. It says, but soon, say soon, because that's how they happen, right? A fierce storm came down on the lake. The boat was filling with water, and they were in real danger. Now, let me just remind you that these are fishermen that are disciples. Jesus calls fishermen, fishermen who had been on this lake many times. They were absolutely familiar with what it's like to be in a boat, and a storm would come upon them. And so I want to give them a little grace there, too. This was a mega storm, one like they didn't see often and they still don't see often, maybe say like a hurricane type of winds. And so just to give you a little geography quickly, I've not been there, but I've seen a lot of topo maps and researched it a lot. Um, So the Sea of Galilee is the largest freshwater lake in the world. It sits like 690 feet below sea level. Now, 25 miles as the crow flies from the Sea of Galilee is the, the Mediterranean Sea. And so in 25 miles, we drop 690 feet. That's like a bowl, if you will. So it makes sense that you're on the lake, you're doing your fishing, and you don't see a storm coming. And that's how they can come on you suddenly. And it happened all the time. But these were trained, seasoned fishermen. They could handle those types of storms. But this one, the King James says, um, it was uh, a, a furious squall. I believe is what it uses, a furious squall. It was a big, big storm. I was reading an article yesterday of a person who was um, using this scripture and connecting it with a storm that they experienced last year in May of 22, uh, a storm like this of epic proportions. They said this is a biblical-style storm that just hit the same area. It was like 80-mile-an-hour-plus winds, and it did a lot of damage. They had one of those uh, again in the 60s and another one in the 90s. So this was a huge storm. And it came upon them quickly. Can I just stop for a moment and say, that's how storms work in our lives today. They come up quickly, don't they? I mean, you're just going through life, you're enjoying it, maybe smooth sailing, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, storm is upon us. Um, And this is what happened to disciples. They're going across to the other side. They encounter this huge storm. Is a furious gale. And so the question is, who caused it? Some scholars will say, well, Jesus wanted to use this as an opportunity, so he may have caused the storm. Can I say that sometimes Jesus does cause things to happen in order for us to learn a, a very important truth? But sometimes, some of the scholars also say it could have been an evil spirit that conjured up this storm. And the reason they say is because they're trying to take out, Satan might be trying to take out Jesus. And he's vulnerable while he's in a boat asleep. Let's just whip up a quick storm. And the reason they say that is because the next uh, story is Jesus casting out a demon. And he uses the same type of language when he rebukes the demon and tells him to come out. And so some say, well, we think that this storm that that they encountered um, had some like evil origins. The real answer is, I don't think we know who caused it, but here's what we do know. It was allowed. 
Because the one that was in the boat is omniscient. He knew, right? He knew. And so he allowed the storms. And this is a truth that we need to understand in our lives, that he allows the storms to happen in our lives. Wait a minute. Time out, Shane. I thought when I got my life right with God and I trusted him for salvation that I would never encounter any hardships. Whoever told you that didn't give you the whole truth. Because the reality is, Jesus himself said, in this world you will have troubles. Um, interpreted storms. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So the reality is, either everyone in this room has either been through a storm, is in a storm, or will go through a storm. And so the reality is, is, what, how does that like work in our faith? Just know this. One of the truths about storms is God uses those. God's al- he allows those to come into our life from time to time. Amen? So he allowed it to happen. Whether he caused it or it was an evil uh, origin, he allowed it to happen. Um, and, and we know that God uses, obviously, he uses the storms in our life. There's a purpose in storms. And if you need uh, just a clarification on that, listen to James 1, 2 through 4. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, lacking or needing nothing. Peter kind of repeats this. He talks about the hope that we have um, of eternal life. That's this inheritance kept in heaven for us. That's the good news. In verse 5, he says, And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials, many storms for a little while. These storms or trials will Show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire. Test purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many storms, many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. One of the questions was, I mean, I know we live in a fallen world. There's sin, but why? Why do we experience hard times? Can I just tell you, we may not always know the reason why, but we know what Romans says, and God is able to use all things, to make all things, all things, whether he caused them or whether it was caused, to use all things to work together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Amen? God allows them, but God also uses the storms to grow us in our faith. So the disciples are in the boat with Jesus. This huge, epic storm comes up, and they're taking water on the boat, and so they're understandably terrified and afraid. Verse 24, look at the response. The disciples went and woke him up, shouting, Master, Master, we're going to drown. I like to use a little holy imagination, and so I'm thinking Jesus is comfy on a pillow in the boat. That's what Mark says. And they go to Jesus and like, you're comfortable down there, Jesus? I mean, maybe, I don't know. Like, we're here fighting to stay afloat, and Jesus is snoozing. How are you sleeping in a time like this? And so they're freaking out, Jesus. Jesus, master, master, we're going to drown. We're going to die. And so Mark even adds a little bit more to that. He says, master, don't you care that we're perishing? Jesus, master, don't you care? How could you be sleeping at a time like this? Don't you care that we are perishing? Here's another truth that we need to understand. God cares even in the storms. So what happens, sometimes we go through a storm and we start thinking, well, I, God must not love me because he's allowing something like this. No, 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 he loves you and that's why he's allowing it to happen or allowing you to experience it because he loves you enough that he wants to grow you and mature you in your faith. Here's the thing, it's, it's one thing to say I've got faith, it's a whole other thing to 
walk in that faith in the middle of a test or a trial. Amen? Don't, don't shout me down when I'm preaching truth. It's a reality, right? We all experience this. And so the disciples respond with freaking out and panic, and then Jesus wakes up. I don't know if he yawned, he stretched out a minute, took a little bit of time for effect. I don't know, but Jesus woke up. And he steps to the edge of the boat and does something that is going to radically change the disciples' lives forever. This man that they are building this belief system on, Jesus is doing all these things. And like Jesus is special, he's unique, and he steps up and he speaks to the wind and the waves, and they obey him. I don't know about you, but the disciples are probably like going, I could just see their mouths wide open, eyes like this big, looking at each other like, what just happened, right? Think about it for just a moment. John says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, right? And he goes on to say, everything was made through him, and all things were made for him. Colossians says the same thing. So Jesus, all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And so Jesus, in this moment, steps out to the edge of the boat and speaks to his own creation. Says, hey, that's enough. Peace. Be still. And the wind and the waves obey him. That's cool, right? So the storm goes from furious to almost like mega calm, like snapping a finger that quick. It didn't take a while to die down. It was instantly calm is what Luke says. And so you think, all right, now, test is over. Jesus asks the question, where's your faith? Right? You, you guys believe me. You, you say you believe me. And here's a moment, an opportunity for that faith to be displayed. He didn't say, you don't have any faith. You've got too little of a faith. He's simply saying, where is it? You say you have faith, this was the opportunity for it to be revealed, where is your faith? And I think he could ask us the same question in our lives today, man. It's easy to say, I've got faith in the church when things are going great. When the economy's doing well, when the marriage is great, when the kids are obedient, it's great to say, yeah, I've got big faith in God, but I've witnessed more times than I care to even think about in hospital situations when you're at the, probably the worst point in your life, and you're like at this, this transition, this crossroad where you know, all this stuff we say we believe, it's like we can throw all of reason out the window and we can go brain dead, right? Remember, it starts with reason. And we can start to just conjure up things that are contrary to what we say that we believe. And it's in those moments, I think, that we could rightly be asked by Christ if you were in the room with us, hey, Shane, where's your faith? Where is that faith? You believe in me. The, the second part of that belief is action. It's trust. It's a transfer of trust. Do you trust me now? See, here's what I think we do sometimes. We say we have faith, but really we, we have it under control. And I got faith because I'm in control, everything's going well, but when it's out of my control and I don't have the ability to fix what's going on around me, it's like in that moment, where's your faith? Where is your faith? It is important for us to be able to know who it is that's in the boat with us, metaphorically speaking, because how many know he's with us? He never leaves us, he never forsakes us. And so Jesus' response to his rebuke, the wind, the storm, and then in this one little question, I, I see it as a rebuke. He says, like, guys, I mean, you're, you're, my, you're my homies. You're the ones that are with me all the time. You've seen things that some other people haven't seen. You've heard me speak. Where's your faith at? And it was going to be a lesson that would radically alter their lives because it was after this that Jesus asked the question, who do men say I am? Who do you say I am? And so off of the heels of this miracle of the calming of the sea and the feeding of the 5,000, Peter rightly says, I know exactly who you are. Jesus, you're Messiah. You're the one that all the Old Testament has been pointing to. We've seen it on display. And, man, I am, I'm there. 
right? But it started in the storm. And Jesus uses the storm as a test for their faith. Test is over. Question, where is your faith? Now I would wonder sometimes, <clears throat> was Jesus frustrated in that moment? Like, I, where's your faith? You, you lose your keys and you go to the door. It's, it's like, where are your keys? I don't know. I just had them a minute ago. Has anybody else lost their keys before? My parents used to say, where's your brain? I'm like, I don't know. Right? We've lost things, and there's moments where, like, I think he's like, Shane, where's your faith? I wonder if he was frustrated with them, but then again, I have to remind myself that the disciples up to this point have been able to look at everything objectively. In other words, it didn't affect them directly, so they're watching Jesus do Jesus' stuff for other people. And so from that perspective, they can go, they're building their opinion, they're forming their opinion of Jesus. They're like, Jesus just healed that dude of, 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 of being lame. Jesus just healed that person of leprosy. Jesus just touched the kid and raised him from the dead, and they're developing their belief system. And in a moment, in the middle of the storm, they forgot all of that. And they can no longer look at it objectively because they are in danger and they're scared. They're terrified. And so they're like going, Jesus, save us. I said, where's your faith? Where's your faith? This is the first time that one of the miracles would affect them on a personal level. And I believe that's, that's key as well. They were fighting for the lives and Jesus steps up, calms the storms, and he asks the question. And here's something I wrote down. God's people face the same problem today. We know the word of God, but we, we do not believe it when we face the tests of life. It is the one thing to learn the truth and quite something else to live it. Where is your faith is still the key question. Are we trusting God's promises or are we trying or trusting ourselves or our circumstances? Jesus' question to the disciples, and I believe he could ask every one of us at any point in our lives, hey, you say you believe in me. You've heard the scriptures. You know who I am. You know what I'm capable of doing. You know what I came to earth to do. You know what I promise for those who place faith in you. And I'm simply asking you to trust me. Where's your faith? So it's one thing to say, I believe that this stool will hold me up, right? And I can reason. I mean, it looks like it's a well crafted and it's got welds on there and they look nice and solid and it would I mean this is a heavy duty I, I have every reason to believe that that will hold me up and it's a whole different thing to say I'm going to transfer my trust into that belief I believe it but now I'm going to demonstrate that belief by trusting in right that's faith that's our Christian faith and so we say I believe in Jesus I believe he loves me I believe he cares for me I believe that he can do anything and yet when I go through the storms of life, I throw all of that out the window. It's easy for me to believe that for you, but now I'm in real danger, real fear. I'm scared, Jesus. And, like, and we act like we don't even know who he is. He's like, where's your faith? Where is your faith? Maybe he's asking some of you that question this morning. So where is your faith? Well, notice the reaction. I love this part because the disciples who were once terrified of the wind and the waves and the storm are now terrified of the person that's in the boat with them. <laughs> Their focus goes from like, ah, oh, you know, Jesus calms the storm and they're looking at him like, what did we just witness? What did we just, who is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. 
my friends, they learned a very powerful lesson and got a new revelation of who Jesus was that day. Jesus was in the boat with them. And can I just tell you, church, he's still in the boat with us today. And he still calms the storms today. So the question is, and I guess the application for each one of us is, where is your faith? It's easy to say it, but do we walk it out? Do we demonstrate it on a regular basis? Or do we panic? We freak out. We doubt. We question. We complain. Like, do we trust that he is in control? Do we trust that he loves us? Do we trust that he's able? Are we demonstrating our trust in our belief system? Like, I believe Jesus can do all. And so here I am in the middle of a storm, and Jesus, I'm just going to camp out on this boat because I know you're in the boat. You may be sleeping. I hope you get a couple extra Z's there. But when you wake up, I know you already said, we're going to go to the other side of the lake. I already know this. And so I've seen you do. So Jesus, any minute now, and we're kind of freaking out. We're taking a little bit of water. I'm a little nervous here, but I know you can. Jesus, would you wake up and calm the storm? I think that's okay. Jesus, I'm freaking out a little bit right now, but I know you can. And I just need you to see me through it. I just need you to do what only you can do and get me safely through to the other side. Man, I love, I love, love, love that we have the scriptures that we get to, you know, they're learning it in real time and we're seeing the big picture and we're like, is this another opportunity, uh, a demonstration of who Christ really was and who he is and what he's capable of doing even for us today? And so the question I would ask for each one of us is like, where is your faith. I've been in hospitals with people who have great faith and they, they could hear the negative news from a doctor. They could see the diagnosis, the numbers and all that stuff that would freak people out. And I've watched them say, you know what? I ain't worried. God's in control. And it is impressive, y'all, to see that. And I've seen people who like, man, faithful churchgoers for years being there like, I don't know, man. I just don't think it's going to work. And I'm like, man, you got to really take captive your thoughts right now, especially in this place, because it takes a lot of faith and positivity in that moment to truly trust that God's with you in the middle of a storm. Amen? And so my question would be, are you demonstrating your trust in God? Does your faith go beyond reasoning to faithful action and obedience? Are you relying on, are you trusting in Jesus, because that's the ultimate goal for each and every one of us today. Who Jesus is, what he did, what he does for us. And it's like we're saying, hey, Jesus, I believe everything the scriptures have told me about you. I believe that you came to the earth, you died on the cross for my sins, and I believe that you said that whoever would believe in you would have eternal life. And that's not over yet. I mean, we're not there yet. We're still on this earth, and we're encountering storms occasionally, and it's getting crazy down here, Jesus. But I know that in heaven, waiting for me is this promise, and one day this salvation that's promised now will be a reality, real time for us, and what an amazing day that's going to be, right? To be in the presence of him. Jesus, I trust you. I believe you. The disciples later would say, increase our faith and I think it's okay for us to say the same Lord I trust you but boy I want you to increase that trust I want you to increase my faith because I want to be able to ace the test knowing that I go through the storms of life that you're with me and that you're going to get me through it what Jesus did in the sea of Galilee he can do to the troubled torn storm-tossed disciples today the question is do you believe that do you believe it church he still calms storms he still calms storms. He still grows us and develops us. And just imagine Jesus is with you right now, and he says, hey, where's your faith at? Where's it at? He's not accusing you of not having it. And we know from Scripture it's a mustard-sized seed of faith that is powerful. And he says, like, hey, these, these children, they come to me with this childlike faith. That's on that flip side of that coin, that trust part. You know you have to teach a kid to not trust? 
when the grandbabies were little bitty and they would come over, we'd put them up on the bar or the counter and say, jump. And they're like, they didn't think, well, maybe he'll slip and fall and won't catch me on the way down. Or maybe I'll trip and fall. Or maybe he's just going to back away and let me hit the... They didn't even think that way. They're just like going, sounds like fun. Wee! They bail and I catch them and they go, what do they do? Do it again! Do you realize that the older we get, the less trusting that we become? We get so educated, so, you know... A reasoning, like I used to jump off of houses. I'm not advocating that. It's really dumb. But as a cable guy, the ladder's over there. And I just jump off. And I would do it. And I see my son do that one time. I'm like, oh, don't, don't do that. That's really bad on your knees. Don't do that, right? Or I'm careful where I walk now. Like there's a hole there. I want to twist an ankle. I'm getting old. I mean, stuff breaks. And so it's crazy how when we're little bitties, like that faith, that trust is just almost automatic. We have to train our kids to be careful who they trust Jesus says, that's the type of faith I'm looking for. Those who become like this little child, trusting, vulnerable, dependent upon him. Amen? Ah, where is your faith? Father, I thank you for your word today, and I thank you for the, the challenge that we see. It's easy for us to look at it from our perspective and see these disciples and probably give them a knock or two and dog on them a little bit, but God, I, I think that we're in the same situation would respond the same way, and uh, I think that you're telling us today the same thing. You're asking us the same question. Hey, where is your faith? Where is your faith? You, you say you have it. This is your opportunity to demonstrate it, and so there may be someone right now that's going through a storm in their life, a big storm, a medical storm, a financial, a, a marital. Uh, th- there's just so many different types of storms that come through life knowing God, that you love us, and it doesn't mean you've abandoned us because we have a storm, that we know that you allow those storms to happen, but you have a purpose in them that you can use those to grow us in our faith. And Lord, we absolutely know you care for us even in the midst of those storms. And Lord, if they're here today and they're going through that storm, God, I pray that for just a moment they could take their eyes off of the temporal, take their eyes off of the, the finances, the, the, the conflict, the, the money, whatever, whatever it may be that they're focused on, the wind and the waves, take their eyes off of that and put those eyes, just recenter them on the one who calms the winds and the waves to be still. And God, I pray that just as the storms ceased and there was absolute peace and tranquility, you would do that in their hearts right now that you would give them that peace that Paul says that passes all human understanding. God, if they could say, yeah, I'm in the middle of the biggest battle of my life right now, but for some reason I've got this, this peace because I know God's with me in it. God, would you do that for them today? Lord, would you help the rest of us to realize just how important our faith is? Lord, this not this intellectual thing that we just reason and we get all the doctrine, we get all figured out upstairs, but it doesn't make the journey from our head to our heart. God, would you allow us to see today the importance of transferring our trust into you and to you only. God, that we would increase our faith in you, that no one knowing that when that storm does come, no matter what happens, what comes our way, we know that you got it. And Father, until we see you again in eternity. Lord, we know that we're going to encounter these storms. And so, God, I pray that you would just help us to uh, realize the importance of our faith while we are here. Lord, that we still walk by faith. We live by faith. And one day we won't have to use faith anymore because we'll be at home with you and everything that we've believed without seeing will be real right in front of us. And I think that we will fall on our faces in adoration and worship of the one who is worthy of all praise and honor. God, would you please... 
Do a work in our hearts today. Would you be glorified in our lives as we leave this place today that we won't just hear it as a lesson, but we would apply it um, in our lives today. And I humbly ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.